We are in a series uh, talking about our inner world, where we're talking about what goes on inside of us and how ultimately what happens inside of us always tends to find its way out. And so it is important to tend what is going on in our inner world. And, and I've always been fascinated with language. Uh, I traveled quite a bit as a kid because of my dad's work. And so I was, or I was exposed to a lot of different cultures and a lot of different languages. And I always wish that I knew a second language. I always wish that I had taken the time to learn a second language, but I never have. I I'm only know English, and every time I go to a Spanish-speaking country, I want so badly to be able to communicate with them because I know that even when you have an interpreter, even when you have someone kind of telling each other what you're saying, you, it's always a little bit lost in translation. You're not quite getting the details. You're not quite getting the inflection. You don't quite understand, and, and it's amazing if you think about it that we learn one of the most complicated languages on planet Earth at a time in our lives when we are the least educated. Uh, and when we have the least amount of understanding, we learn one of the most complicated languages in the world. And they say that is why it's so difficult to learn a second language later in life, is because you're already so immersed in one language that you have to kind of unlearn that language in order to learn another one. That the language you actually know becomes sort of a barrier to the language that you want to know. But if you really look even within our own language, most of us speak a second language or a third language. Because what you find is that language is representative of culture. And so the different cultures that you are exposed to, there are different languages. A few years ago when I started kind of working in the production world, I discovered that there was an entirely different language that I was completely unaware of. That there were things that were referred to with words and phrases that I had no idea this is how they were referred to. And then I learned that they were. I remember one of my first days on set, I found out that a clothespin is called a C-47. I don't know why it's called a C-47, I don't know why they can't just ask for a clothespin, but they refer to it as a C-47, and different languages or different cultures have different languages, and, and this is one of the reasons that when Jesus came to earth, he, he had such a difficult time communicating his message to the people that he spoke to because he was bound by earthly language but trying to communicate a new reality, and so we see all throughout scripture that that language was causing the message to be kind of lost in translation. There, there are multiple times throughout Scripture where Jesus says something that seems to be clear and nobody understands him. He, he talks about this concept of, of needing to receive the new life of Jesus and how you must be born again. And immediately the people he's talking to are like, how could we possibly go back into our mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus is, is kind of bound by this earthly language to try to communicate this new reality. And the same thing, quite honestly, happens to us. If you grew up in church culture, you have a whole language that you maybe don't even realize that nobody else understands. You have this whole language that is representative of the church culture that you grew up in that if you did not grow up in that church culture, you would not understand, and you might be completely confused by it. You might even be completely grossed out by it because we talk about things where we, we talk about when Jesus died on the cross that, that because he was perfect, his, his blood took away our sin, and we use phrases like washed in the blood. And if you didn't grow up hearing the phrase washed in the blood, that is very odd. Because there is nothing super clean about blood that would make you think that you would want to wash in it. 
you would think that if you have tried to wash yourself in the blood, you're going to try to need to go wash yourself in something else because you're probably covered in blood. We had a terms like backslide. I don't know if you know what it means to backslide. If you didn't grow up in a church, essentially to backslide is like you were once following Jesus and now you're no longer following Jesus. And I always thought this was a bit of a problematic term because just in and of itself, that word, if I'm being honest, backslide sounds super fun. Like that sounds like something you want to do. That sounds like something you do when you've like broken out the slip and slide and you're like midday where you're trying to figure out new and more dangerous ways to go about it. You're like, oh yeah, he's going to go for the backslide. Everybody's like, oh my gosh, I got to see this. And so we use these terms that, that, that other people don't understand what they mean. One of them that, that I didn't realize, people didn't know because I grew up in the church world, is the idea of an unspoken prayer request. I don't know if you know what that is, but an unspoken prayer request is sometimes you're like in Sunday school or you're in a classroom or a Bible study together and you go around and you get prayer requests and, and you know, John's praying for his finances and Mary's praying for her relationship. And then you get to somebody and they say, I have an unspoken And if you want to suck the air out of the room, you say you have an unspoken. Because the unspoken means that you have a request, but you cannot say what it is. And everybody immediately wants to know what it is. And if you know what it is, if you're in the room and you know what it is, you've got to watch your face. Because people are scanning the room to try to gauge who knows what the unspoken is. And if your face tells everybody that you know what the unspoken is, someone is coming to you after that Bible study. And they're not going to ask you outright. They're not going to ask you outright, but they're just going to be like, wow, I'm really uh, praying for Susan. I wonder what's going on there. I hope she's all right. They're going to really try to lead you into it. And uh, when, when we were actually moving from Lakeland here to Sarasota to plant this church, uh, we had the conversation with our girls who were seven and 10 at the time. And we had had the conversation with them that you have to have with kids where you're like, listen, we're going to be doing this thing. We're moving and we're going to be planting this church kind of like we've been talking about. That is actually happening. But here's the thing. There's a lot of people that we need to sit down with and tell them in person. And, and so soon everybody will know But for now, we need you to keep it quiet because we want some people to hear it from us, not from other people. And they understood this. They were fine. And then we were in church one week, and uh, I find out that our seven-year-old, Sophia, raised her hand for prayer requests, and she said, I have an unspoken. I cannot tell you what it is, but it's about my parents, and you will all know soon. And what she communicated in that moment was that we were in some trouble, that that there was something going on in our house. Because if you don't know the language of the culture, a lot of times the message will get lost in translation. And and when we talk about language and we talk about being a child, I, I don't know about you, but one of the things that I was always being told was to watch my language, Watch your language because we talk about the idea of bad language and we have kind of this like, like, like family story because my brother growing up loved Superman. He was absolutely a Superman fanatic. His room was wallpapered in Superman. He most of the time was dressed as Superman. Every party he had for like five years in a row was a Superman party. And so when the Superman movies started coming out, my mom, bless her heart, she wanted her to see them so badly, but they were definitely above his age. And so she went to 
great lengths to make sure that he could see him. And when it came out on VHS tape, she got the VHS tape. She hooked two VCRs together. And she decided she was going to edit out all of the bad language. She was just going to pause, play, record, and edit out all of the bad language. And so she did this. She sets my eight-year-old brother up to watch the movie. He's watching the movie. She's in the kitchen. And she hears, right in a row, two uh, curse words. And she's like, man, how could I have missed two curse words like that right in a row? A few minutes later go by. She hears two curse words. And she's like, how in the world did I miss these four curse words? As it turns out, her editing skills were not what she thought they were. She did not remove each curse word. She doubled them. She put them all in there twice. And so he's sitting there watching this movie that now has twice the bad language in it. But they did not want us to be exposed to this bad language because this bad language was reflective of a culture that they did not want us to reflect. They did not want us to pick up the language of a culture that was not representative of who we were as a family. But the truth is that we can, when we talk about bad language, we're often talking about bad words. But what we need to understand is that we can often have bad language without even using bad words. My my, uh, wife and I this fall were watching a a TV show where one of kind of the devices they used to tell the story was that you could constantly hear the main character's voice in her head. So she would have a smile on her face and she would welcome somebody to her home, but in her head she would be saying, like, I really wish this person wasn't here. I really wish they had not come. But what you realize as the show unfolded was some of the most harsh and degrading and negative language in the show was this voice that happened in her head, but not towards other people, towards herself. The way she would talk about herself in the show was, was completely degrading, was, was completely devaluing. And th- this was a, a woman who played this character who was, who was slender and looked like someone right out of Hollywood. And yet her inner voice would tell her that she was eating too much, that she was gaining too much weight. And throughout the whole show, all of the worst language in the show was in her head towards herself. And I think the truth is that if we all had an opportunity to examine our inner voice, we would find that often the worst language that we experience is about ourselves, spoken by ourselves, only to ourselves. And I would ask you today, what is it that you're saying about yourself to yourself? Because I have found in my own life that I reserve some of the most negative and some of the most degrading and some of the worst comments for my own self in my own head. See, I think so often we pay a lot of attention to what other people are saying about us, but we don't pay enough attention to what we are saying about ourselves. Like, if you want to ever realize how cognizant you are of somebody else talking to you, all you about you, all you have to do is be in an environment where someone else has your same name. Because whenever you're in an environment where someone else has your same name, you are constantly hearing your name, and you can feel yourself perk up and look around. Like, are they talking about me? Are they talking to me? Are they calling me? Every time we get together with Kristen's family, there is another Jordan, and I spend almost the entire time thinking, someone's like, oh, Jordan just went outside. I'm like, I'm right here. Oh, uh, Jordan broke the bat. I'm like, wasn't even playing. And, and, and you find yourself hearing when other people are referring to you, but I don't think we always realize how we are speaking to ourselves. And, and so often this inner voice is really just the voice we had at childhood, but it's gone internal. Like, if you ever watch a child playing, have you ever noticed that a child narrates their own playing? 
I'm going to go build a train. Oh, I'm going to put the train on the hill. I'm going to, and they, they narrate the entire time that they play. And essentially that narrator just goes internal. It just goes into our head. But once it goes into our head, it often gets a lot worse. It often gets a lot more negative. In Deuteronomy chapter six, verses five through seven, it says this, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. It says talk about them essentially all throughout your day. As you get up, as you go on your way, as you lie down to sleep, talk about the word of the Lord. In other words, what the writer here is saying is teach your kids the language of life that they were created to speak. Because we were all born into a language that that we were supposed to speak about ourselves based on what God thinks of us. Teach them the language that they were meant to speak. But, But so often they pick up a language that they were never meant to speak. And your inner voice speaks substantially more than your outer voice. A recent study shows that you actually speak to yourself at a rate of 10 times how you can speak audibly. It comes out to about 4,000 words per minute because you're also not limited to like conjoining phrases in your mind because you know what you mean. And so even if you don't realize it, when you're speaking to yourself, you're leaving phrases and thoughts out and you are automatically filling in the blank. One researcher said that the amount that we speak to ourselves throughout an average day would equal out to 320 State of the Union addresses that we give ourselves. Have you ever watched the State of the Union address? It is exhausting. Someone will say something and exactly half of the room will stand up and cheer while the other half of the room sits down and scowls and then they'll say something else and the other half of the room will stand up and cheer while the other half of the room uh, sits and scowls. That is what is going on in your head 320 times a day. And we wonder why we have issues with our insecurity or our feelings toward ourselves because we cannot ultimately talk about our inner world without talking about its narrator without talking about the voice that is speaking. See, your inner voice, as much as it speaks to you, your inner voice has the potential to be one of your greatest tools or one of your most destructive weapons. And a few weeks ago, when when we were looking at Matthew chapter 9, and it's the story of this woman who who had been sick for nearly 13 years. She had been sick for 12 years, and, and, and She comes to Jesus in a crowd at a moment where the crowd is crowding around Jesus. They're all touching him. They're all talking to him. There is a lot of noise happening all around him. And the Bible tells us that she comes to him. And beginning in verse 20, it says, Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, If if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment. And the phrase that stood out to me that I had really never seen before was this phrase, she said to herself. She said to herself, if only I could touch the hem of his robe, I would be healed. Isn't it it interesting that 
in that moment where she needed something from Jesus, she didn't address Jesus. She didn't address the crowd. It says she said to herself, if only I could touch the hem of his garment, I would be healed. See, sometimes I think what we don't realize is that the only thing standing between you and what you're believing for is what you're saying to yourself. That the power is there and available from Jesus, but sometimes our inner voice overrides our willingness to even step out. I think if I had been sick for this period of time, there's a good chance that by this point I would have been pretty steeped in cynicism. I would have been pretty steeped in, in why even bother going, why even try brushing through the crowd. See, the outside voices, when, when Jesus immediately feels this power go out from him and he says, who touched the hem of my garment? The outside voices immediately question. They are immediately cynical. They are immediately wondering why this is even a question that Jesus would ask. They say, there are a lot of people pressing into you. There are a lot of people making contact with you. There are a lot of people touching you. How could you possibly know? See, the outside voice always wants to bring in cynicism, and it becomes a favorite of the inner voice when we let it in. That our inner voice becomes the cynic, but it's interesting in her case that if she had chosen to be cynical, she would have also stayed sick. And I think the same is true for so many of us that, that if we want to stay exactly where we are right now, then the best path is to embrace cynicism. That if you want to stay in exactly the condition that you're in right now, then embracing cynicism is a sure route to doing so. I think this shows up all the time in our own lives. Like, I don't know if you've ever been working on a project or maybe a creative project or something around your house, and you have been enjoying doing the work on it. You have been enjoying your progress. You are pretty proud of whatever it is that you have done. But then comes the moment where you want to show somebody else what you've been working on. And, and suddenly you find yourself giving like the most qualifiers that you could ever give. Like, I'm not quite done with it. I don't even know if we're going to use it. We haven't even decided really if we like it. I didn't have as much time as I needed to have. You find all these reasons why it's not good enough. And this is cynicism working as a defense mechanism to make sure that someone else can't put you down before you do. That we use cynicism as a defense mechanism because we think, we think that if we use cynicism as a defense mechanism, then we can never get hurt. That, that if we never get our hopes up, then we can never have our hopes let down. The problem is that when you choose to never get your hopes up, you live down. Like, you're, you're not just at danger of being let down, you actually live down. When you go ahead and proactively put yourself down so that no one else can do it for you. And, and the problem is that you don't only live down, you, you also start to look down on others. Like cynicism will cause you to, to live down in your own life, but it will cause you to look down on others as well. If you look in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 39, there's this moment where Jesus is dining with a Pharisee, and the Pharisees were religious leaders of the day. They would have been educated. They would have been wealthy. They would have known all of the religious rituals they should go through, all the prayers they should pray. They would have had vast amounts of the Old Testament memorized. They would have really had the religion thing on lock. 
And beginning in verse 36, it says, Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table when a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. See, notice, once again, we have this moment where it's only the inner voice that is recorded. He said to himself, if he were who he said he was, then he would know. And then he speaks to this woman's character. See, right in this one moment of inner voice, we see three of the most common characteristics that we deal with in our own inner voice because he is cynical, he's critical, and he's condemning. All in one moment, he's cynical. If he really is, he's critical. Then he would know who. And he's condemning that she is a sinner. See, this Pharisee had it all right on the outside. That They were known for having it right on the outside. They wore all the right garments. They were at the right place at the right time to represent the religion of the day. And yet his inner voice leads him to a place that is distant from the thinking of Jesus. That is far from how Jesus is thinking in this moment. And this is how you know if your inner voice is speaking the language of the world when it becomes cynical, critical, and condemning. Because here's what you will see about an inner voice that is those three things, is that, is that cynicism, cynicism will keep you from doing anything. Criticism will tell you, will tear down whatever you do. And condemnation will tell you that you haven't done enough. It's these three things that will keep you paralyzed. And you cannot afford to have your inner voice tear you down because there are plenty of outer voices willing to do that. There are plenty of outer voices willing to tear you down. There are plenty of outer voices willing to be cynical and critical and condemning. And you have to find in yourself an inner voice that speaks the language of life that it was created to speak. Last year, two years ago, we were actually in Guatemala and we were on this job site working construction and we had kind of this other place that was a bit of a walk away where all of our supplies were. And so there was a moment where I left our group and I walked away from our group and I went to get some supplies and I realized on my way back that I had a general idea of where the job site was, but I didn't know exactly where it was. And so I was kind of walking through the streets of this little village and I really couldn't find my way. But then in the distance, I heard the sound of our team and I knew it was our team because they were speaking English and so I just walked and I walked until the voice got louder and until I found the place where they were. And this is in some ways what, what happened in this moment where Jesus interacts with this woman who said to herself, if only I could touch the hem of his garment, I would be healed. See, I believe that in that moment, Jesus heard the language of life that he responds to. 
Jesus heard the language of life that he responds to, and it says he turned to her and said, daughter, your sins are forgiven and your body is healed. See, in this same moment with the Pharisee, it says that he said within himself, if Jesus was who he says he was, he would know who this woman is, that she is a sinner. And it says, Jesus answered. In other words, Jesus heard the voice that was only inside, and he responded, And so the question is, what response would Jesus have to the inner voice, to the inner dialogue that you have going on in yourself? Would it be a response that, that, that it comes into agreement with him, that comes into agreement with his way, that brings healing? Or would it be a response that brings death, that brings rebuke? See, in that crowded street where there was a lot of noise and there was a lot of chaos and there was a lot going on, Jesus still heard the inner voice of the woman who was speaking the language she was meant to speak. She said only to herself, if I could touch the edge of his garment. And Jesus heard the language of faith through the cynicism of the crowd. And he responded to it. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, it says, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Last night, we were at dinner with some friends. Uh, it, it was Ashton Groover's birthday, and we were, we were there, and, and it's kind of a long story, but uh, I was actually, my mom was actually present for her birth, even though at the time we lived in a different state, and we were in a totally different place, but her dad was working at our uh, family's church, and so she was actually present for her birth, and so after she was born, I was super into videoing and documenting things, and so I did like their family videos of, of after she was born, like kind of introducing her to the world, and, and her dad posted some, some things of that yesterday, but there, there were some clips throughout that video where you could hear my voice talking on the video. And it is like the most Southern voice you've ever heard in your life. I'm literally like, Mom, look at how much she looks like. I mean, it is like, look at how big her eyes are, Mom. They usually say their eyes aren't open, Mom. You ever heard yourself on a video? It's torture. And... And, and it was like unrecognizable. If you heard it, you would never know that it was me because now often when people find out that I'm from Alabama, one of the things that they often say is, oh, you don't sound like you're from Alabama. You don't sound like you're from Alabama. But the truth is that I have spent enough time away from where I came from that I no longer talk like where I came from. And this is the problem with so many of our inner voices is that we come from God. We were created in his image. Genesis says that God created humanity in his image and breathed life into them. We were created to speak the language of life. And yet sometimes we spend so much time away from where we came from that we no longer talk like where we came from. We no longer sound like where we came from. And some of us need to get our language back. 
Some of us need to get our language back. And that's my question for you today is, do you speak like where you came from? Do you sound like where you came from? Do you speak like you are from God? Because so often we, we talk about ourselves as though we are damaged or inadequate. We talk about ourselves as though we are unworthy. We talk about ourselves as though we are worthless. And see, notice that it says that they speak from the viewpoint of the world. They speak from the viewpoint of the world. That the way you see yourself, where you see yourself coming from, is the way that you will speak. And so you have to see yourself as coming from God. What you have to understand is that you may talk like you're worthless. You may talk like you're inadequate or unqualified. You, you may talk like you don't add up. But the truth is that before you made the mistakes, before you didn't measure up, before you were insecure, before you didn't think you were worthy, before all of that, God created you with an inner voice that was designed to speak life. That there is a language that precedes the language that you may speak now. There is a language that came before the language that you speak now. You are a child of God, and it's time that you started talking like it. You are a child of God, and it's time that you started to speak the language of life that he's given you. In Proverbs 18, verse 21, it says, The power of life and death are in the tongue. We need to speak life. We need to speak the language that we were created to speak. See, so often when we talk about kind of the voices that impact our life, we talk about these negative external voices that, that we need to silence. And there is, there is truth in that. There, there are external voices that we need to turn off. There are external voices that we need to silence. There are external voices that we need to quit listening to. But what do you do when the voice that needs to be silenced is your own inner voice? See, in that case, it's no longer a matter of silencing the voice. It's a matter of returning to the language it was created to speak. It was, it's a matter of returning to that language. See, we, we learn a language when we are little because we are immersed in it, because it is all around us, because it's all that we hear. It's all that we associate with. And we lose a language when we distance ourselves from the culture that speaks that language. And so we have to, if we have moved away from speaking life, we have to immerse ourselves in the language of life again. We have to relearn the language that we were born to speak. Too many of us are immersed in the language of the world. So we see from the viewpoint of the world. And we speak to ourselves as though we are from the world and we are not from the world. They say that the best way to learn a new language is to immerse yourself in it. And the good news is that we can immerse ourselves in the language of life because God has given us his word. 
God has given us his word that we can know that when we are speaking to ourselves in our inner voice, we have a standard that we can hold it up against and say, is this what God says about me? Is this what God says about me or is this what I am saying about me or is this what the world is saying about me? See, to understand the language of life you were created to speak, you have to spend time in God's word. Immerse yourself in it so that you can recognize and speak the language. They say that the other way to learn a language is to teach that language. And I believe that for all of us in this room, but especially for the parents in the room. This is why in the book of Deuteronomy, they say, talk about it in the morning. Talk about it in the afternoon. Talk about it in the evening. Teach your children the language of life. Teach your children what the voice of God says about them so that they can speak that language. But, but as you teach them, you are reinforcing, you are learning that language yourself, that we have to immerse ourselves in God's word. We have to speak it and we have to teach that language. See, the voice of the world will tempt you to speak to yourself as a cynic, as a critic, and as a condemner. But God wants you to speak the language of life. God wants you to speak the language that builds up and doesn't tear down. And, and sometimes we're good at doing that for others. We can find it within ourselves to, to build others up, and yet inside we tear ourselves down. And I think often the, the reason we're able to so easily tear ourselves down is that we think we know ourselves better than anybody else. We think that we deserve the kind of language we point towards ourselves because we know what we've done. We know what we've, we've thought. We know how we've lived. But see, this is why we have to know what God has said about us. Because God who created you knows you better than you know yourself and still loves you, still speaks life over you, still believes that you have a future, still believes that you were created for a purpose even when you don't. And so we have to learn to speak that language of life. Would you bow your heads with me this morning?